This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. If you've ever run a podcast or had a meeting or had any situation where you're about to talk to somebody, did your mouth start watering before you spoke to them? If so, you were probably talking to Allison Stad. Allison is the Senior Marketing and Communications Manager at Shake Shack. Shake Shack, if you don't know it, is the most delicious burger joint in town, founded by the culinary genius, Danny Meyer. Allison oversees social media and digital marketing there. And you'll hear a lot about her story. And some of the things I loved around her story is not just Shake Shack's really interesting approach to social and community, making the experience you have in the restaurant the same experience that you'd have online, but it's really about her career and how she really used her freelancing ability to help keep her excited and engaged throughout her career until she came to her absolute dream job at Shake Shack. Take a listen. Welcome, Allison, to the show. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. And of course, you know about my serious, serious addiction to Shake Shack. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard the rumors. It's a love fest. I mean, it's it's an indulgence. I don't take it all the time, but when I do, I enjoy it. I will tell you that. And I I am so excited to talk about Shake Shack today. But before we talk about Shake Shack, I want to learn all about you. So tell me the story of your career and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, totally. So when I was in college, I was interested in uh, creative writing. So I went to Penn, I majored in English and creative writing. And at the time, I really wanted to pursue a career in magazine journalism. So I interned at a small fashion magazine called Zinc in New York my junior year, which so happened to be located across the street from the original Shake Shack in Madison Square Park. So the editors would have the interns line up for their lunch in this lengthy hour and a half line. And I was like, what is this place? Like, what is this magical restaurant that has these burgers and fries that have all these New Yorkers addicted? So that was my first introduction to the brand. And then fast forward a few years, the magazine industry started to kind of corrode a little bit. And as I graduated, I discovered uh, blogging and social media, which to me was sort of the digital equivalent of magazine writing, or at least what um, appealed to me about that use of my brain. So um, I was able to uh, sort of be a part of um, in my my first role right out of college in medical publishing, which is as boring as it sounds, but um, <laughs> nonetheless a, a great fulfilling experience because uh, at that time, the magazines were all converting to an online presence, which enabled me to begin blogging and managing social media accounts um, sort of at, at the infancy of uh, the social media industry. So 
that spun into uh, the ability for me to translate my love of food, which has just been something that's part of my life since I grew up, and, and leverage those digital skills. So I was managing a blog in Philly called uh, youwishyouknew.com, which is sort of a guide to what to see, eat, and do in the city. Ooh. Did you start that on your own or you were participating in that? No. So that was actually a website that was owned by uh, the Greater Philadelphia Tourism Marketing Corporation, which is wow. sort of like a sister company to the Convention and Visitors Bureau. So um, the campaign um, with Love Philadelphia XOXO, I don't know if you're familiar with it or yes, not, but it yes, was yes, there. Yes. Okay, cool. So that was sort of their blog property. Um, and that was just when Twitter and Instagram and Facebook started to be these huge tools for brands to be a part of. So that let me combine my love of food with this continued interest in blogging and social media. So I were you doing into, that? Were you ahead. doing that on the side while you were working at the uh, medical, the medical journal stuff? No. So that was my my next role after that, which I obtained by starting as a freelance blogger for uh-huh. You Wish You Knew. So that's something that I always recommend to people interested in in blogging and social is trying to get your feet wet by. Um, dabbling in a, in a freelance capacity or got it. Capacity. Got it. So, so you were doing that kind of as, as freelance and then that grew into full-time. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and then my, my role after that was, uh, leading social for a few small, uh, spirits brands at an agency where I also got to weigh in on social content for Hendrix gin and sailor Jerry rum and some larger global brands that the agency operated social for. Um, and at that time I was freelancing for Eater. So I've always done a lot of freelance blogging since the beginning of my career, actually through to today. And as a writer for Eater, I covered the opening of the first Philadelphia Shake Shack, which is where I met uh, my now boss and a few other folks that um, I'm very lucky to work with today at Shake Shack. So we had a great, uh, you know, experience sort of collaborating on some events and, you know, me covering the opening. And then that was kind of that. Fast forward a few years, my now husband and I decided to move to New York from Philly. He's an actor, so it just made sense to kind of, you know, base ourselves in yeah. the, you know, center of where all that's going Where it's on. at, He's where it's at, exactly. of course. <laughs> so I was looking for roles and a few things came up and I was lucky to get two different offers that I was deciding between. And out of the blue, I discovered that Shake Shack was hiring someone to lead social to be on the marketing team. And, um, did you freak out when you saw that though? Because if you, you, know, you go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, well, you know, it's one of those things where it almost felt like fate, you know, like a God wink as my dad would say, um, oh, you know, cause I had such a, ever a God wink. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I love it. Oh I'm my God. You can use it. You can totally you can use, use it. it. Stolen from Allison's dad. <laughs> Thanks, Allison's dad. I hope you're listening. Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> okay. so he better be listening. He better be listening. Um, <laughs> so I, I was honestly toying with I, – I didn't know what to do since I had these two offers on the table, and I had like 48 hours to get back to them about it. And I decided, you know, I, I wanted to throw my hat in the ring. So I shot an email to my now boss, and I ended up coming up to New York for an interview – and as soon as I stepped in the office, it just felt so comfortable. The vibe felt really right, a good fit for my personality. Um, casual, but really hardworking and smart, young, ambitious. So, um, you know, it ended up being the, the right fit at the right time, the right move. So I moved to New York to do this job, and I've been here ever since. I love this story. All right, now I have a couple of questions for you. So. 
you mentioned a lot throughout the story that you were freelancing. So Mm -hmm. is it, is it something that you think really benefited your career in terms of being able to freelance? It sounds like you freelanced on the side a lot throughout, throughout your career. Did it, did that work well for you? Did you ever run into an issue with that? How, how was that for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I honestly, for me, it's always been important to make sure there's no conflict of interest with my full-time role. So whatever I'm focusing on content-wise for my full-time job is 100% always my priority, my top, um, you know, the most important thing on my plate. So I want to make sure that anything that I'm doing on the side doesn't take away or detract from my full-time job or overlap in any way that would be inappropriate. So, um, you know, I, I currently don't do any writing whatsoever or social media whatsoever for any food brands at all. Mm-hmm. I mostly write about social media and technology and career and productivity and that type of stuff. So you so, find that as long as it's not a conflict around the full-time job, it must, to me, I feel like it would help keep me engaged sort of in my, as somebody who, you know, loves to do a lot of different things at once. I think it would, it would help keep me kind of in the game and in a good space where I'm, I'm really always feeling energized because I'm not so focused on one thing all the time. Definitely. And it's also something that's all yours that you own that's, you know, under your purview, um, as opposed to when you're working with a brand, it's, it's a team mentality and as it should be. And that feels amazing. But then there's this side, you know, pursuit that lets you kind of be, you know, call all the shots on everything. And did you ever freelance as your sole job? Did you ever go fully in? Like, I'm going to just be sort of my own little entrepreneur. No, I've never done that. And I, you know, I've definitely thought about it before, but this is absolutely my dream job where I am now. And it's been fantastic since day one. Uh, it's been two and a half years and, um, it's, it's something that's floated through my mind before, but I've seen sort of the good, bad, and ugly of people who've yes. done that. Yes. Um, and I know there's there's pros and there's cons. And there's something that's really amazing about being one part of this this really special group organization, um, you know, that I don't know if I would I, – I think I would miss that if I were. I, I just love the own. way you – I love the way you do it because it also um, – it really mitigates risk for you, allows you to be yeah. excited and have, and have a home in Shake Shack, which is exactly. so great. It's so great. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about Shake Shack and their approach to social. Obviously, they have this sort of undercurrent of love uh, from many brand fans, but I'd love to know a little bit about the approach to social and what you guys do. Yeah, definitely. So the number one thing that I always say about our social media is that our goal is to replicate the in-person shack experience in a digital space. So we want to have the same dialogue that we have with our guests online as we do in person at the shacks and the experience you have connecting with Shake Shack on Instagram or Facebook or Tumblr or Snapchat or any other social channel should ideally give you the same feeling that you get when you're interacting with a shack team member at the restaurant itself. So we have this phrase that we use to describe our restaurants, which is a community gathering place which is why we do a lot of cool art projects and trivia nights and, Mm -hmm. you know, cool meetups and fun happenings and parties for kids and table tennis leagues and whatever. Um, In the same way, our online footprint, our online homes should be a community gathering place for our online fans. So you're using social to create community gathering places. And when you do that, how do you create content that really reflects that? Talk to me a little bit about the types of content you create and, and, and is it more about the content or is it more about the community itself? Do they just organically come to you and the content is less relevant? 
Yeah, that's a good point. I think there's a few different uh, sort of elements that, that drive this content that's together creating this community gathering place online. So I think the most important thing is this warm and engaging conversation that we try and cultivate on all of our channels. So obviously that looks and feels different on Twitter than it does on Instagram versus Snapchat or Periscope. But the, the idea is to use our sense of humor, our smart and witty commentary, our sort of warmth and friendliness, um, and, and also responsiveness. So we aim for within 30 minutes response time on all of our platforms, which is tough to do since in addition to me, there's just three other people managing our social um, channels and, and considering how important it, us, it is, to us it is to be responsive. It's a bit of a, you know, tall, uh, tall order, but... Um, so that's one element. And then just as we place an extremely high value on uh, good-looking food and good-looking restaurants and design, similarly, our, our uh, you know, yeah. requirements for our photos online are very high. So we want it, it to be an aesthetically pleasing experience on social just as it is in the shacks. Um, and then to relate to your, your point about does the content kind of bubble up from our community itself, yes. So a big element of our social strategy is also the sense of validation. So we are super fortunate to be able to pull from this really rich, deep pool of very high-quality, user-generated content. And that's actually the main focus of our Instagram content strategy. We repost a, a lot of fan photos. Mm. But we do that in order to kind of curate this really amazing-looking tapestry of content. But it also lets us give these really direct shout-outs every single day throughout the day to our fans and followers. And it's fun to repost someone's photo and then see in the comments them thanking us and they get all these new followers. And so that's that's the key piece as well. See, Instagram is such a perfect network for that because everyone is sort of a beautiful photographer on Instagram, right? Right. With the filters and everything. All of the food totally. looks great um, because it's an Instagram and it's filtered in a certain way. That It allows you to great, get kind of that. I loved what you said about the experience. You know, it gives you that, that experience from a user that's curated, um, but in a high quality way. So that, that's exactly. actually a perfect approach for Instagram. I love that. Tell me what other networks you're on and which are working best for you. Are you seeing a change? and a shift over time? Yeah, so we are active on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest, Google+, YouTube, Periscope, and Snapchat. So, Oh, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like, right now, no I'm like, job. oh, God, I should be responding to tweets. Um, <laughs> so, and the thing is, it, it may not sound this way, but that's a very focused, considered social footprint. So before we launch on a new platform, we always make sure that it's the right fit. We're, we're not one of those like, you know, so are wild oats type of brands where it's like a new channel pops up and you're like, oh my God, grab your username and whatever. How everyone like jumped on the meerkat bandwagon like right away. Yep. Um, so it's, we sort of, you know, we make sure that we reserve our name when, when need be. Um, but that is to say that that sounds like a lot of channels and it is, but it's also, we do have, um, you know, a strong fan base on each of those of course. networks and there's a reason why we're there. Um, you know, the content looks different on each channel as it does for all brands, but, um, you know, I think Tumblr and Snapchat let us be a little goofier. We do a lot of gifts and on Snapchat, we do a lot of fun sort of whimsical stories with our different food and swag items and things like that. Uh, we have a monthly Spotify playlist that we put out called the Shack Love. 10 and that, yeah, lets us kind of be creative with how we put that out on different channels. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's super fun to 
post about burgers. Let's be honest. Of course. Who doesn't love it? So how do you execute (laughs) if you have content that's different for every network? Does it take a lot of people? Is it like, and it it takes a village strategy? Is it one person running around constantly capturing content? How, how does it work? Yeah, it sort of depends on the situation. So I'll put together a really detailed social plan for a big event. Like for example, our decade of shack week long, 10th birthday celebration last summer, we had sort of a big spreadsheet mapping out the key content pieces throughout each day. Um, But then if it's something that's a little bit smaller scale, or there's only going to be a handful of us on site, there isn't a formal social plan put together, but more of sort of preparing to react organically to a a set of events. So um, the way that we have things now is that I run a, a weekly content calendar that maps out sort of the, the touchstones throughout the week of these key pieces that we know we're going to post about. Yep. And um, each channel is is owned and operated, so to speak, for that week by a different person. So we rotate each channel for the most part on a weekly basis to sort of, um, you know, I, everyone on the team has a slightly different eye for photos or a slightly different um, take on word choice. So within the same realm of the brand voice, which is so important, but you know, they think of different sort of puns or song lyrics that come to mind. Um, and also just to make sure everyone's staying on their toes and not getting too bogged down since it is, you know, such a commitment to, to manage these channels. Well, I love how you mix it up every week. That's, that's actually great. I, that, yeah. uh, that's a very interesting approach to have different people yeah. do different networks at different times. I think that's something mm-hmm. that a lot of brands can learn from. And how many locations do you guys have now? So there are 84 total, which is 49 in the U.S. Amazing. And do you take a localized approach for each of the locations or is it just one broad national approach? And if not, is it because of resources or is it because you just don't think the local appeal is necessary? We have one national account on all channels with the exception of our international uh, shack. So each region abroad has their own uh account for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So outside of the U.S., we do have a few additional um, handles, but within the U.S., just one national. And honestly, in a lot of ways, it really is that tipping point from being a small brand to increasingly a larger brand. Mm -hmm. And it's just not been something that's been necessary yet. We use localized hashtags when necessary. Um, For example, if we're posting something that's awesome specific, we can just hashtag it, Shake Shack Austin, or on Facebook, we can geo-target it to the Austin area. Yeah, um, I was going to say there's so many options for geotargeting now that it may no, no longer be necessary in the same way. Yeah, and I think too, sometimes it's, I think, of interest to fans in other places what's happening in other cities since they may be traveling or um, just want to be aware of sort of the ecosystem of what's happening in Shake Shack land. And then it's fun also, to be honest, to get a lot of comments and engagement calling for those things to be happening in their locations. Um, and then that sort of can sometimes help steer what we're going to do where based on, you know, where the call is for it. And what would you say is the biggest challenge facing Shake Shack and social media today? So our CEO, Randy, has this phrase, the bigger we get, the smaller we need to act, which means, mm. you know, the larger we grow, the increasingly important it is to focus on the small things and be, you know, remain hyper-local. And we, each shack has its own charity partner that is rooted in that immediate community. And uh, we do a ton of local events um, on, the, on the shack level. 
that are not national by any means, but very specific to that one community. So similarly on social, I think it's important to stay, stay tuned to kind of the individual fan on our networks and make sure that we're not starting to, you know, consider wide swaths of types of fans and, and miss out on that one-on-one interaction, which so often affords the most amazing, you know, experiences. I think some of our most special happenings on social are when we can merge sort of the online and offline and make these really human experiences in this digital kind of world. So, you know, we someone wins a contest on social and then we are able to deliver their prize to them in person and bring them food as a surprise and that type of thing. So making sure that we don't stray too far from from that type of thing. I love how you related that in general to the broader business challenge of a company that grows quickly, right? It's like you grow really quickly and you're, you're growing, you're getting bigger and bigger, and you just want to make sure that you don't forget about the small stuff and remain true to the brand. It's exactly the same with your social approach. I love that around surprising and delighting your best fans and that kind of stuff. It's so great. I love that. So Allison, do you have any advice for future yous? I love the story about the having like a little bit of side hustle. I love that. And I loved um, just kind of how you've grown into your role here at Shake Shack. So I'd love to hear any advice that you have for future Allisons of the world. <laughs> um, Aspiring Allisons, I'll call them. Oh, man. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's really hard because doing working in social is very much using both sides of your brain. So there's this very artistic and creative demand for cool content, amazing photos and interesting copy and whether it's taking photos yourself or designing them in Photoshop or curating them and just having that eye for what works um, and then using your writing skills. But at the same time, it's very much as important to be able to read data and understand what the numbers are telling you and then make changes to your strategy based on that. So it's one of those rare situations where you really need to be skilled on both sides. So I would say I think a lot of people are interested in social because it's a really fun opportunity to write cool posts and and take amazing images and interact with people in this really interesting way. But I would say don't be scared of the data. Um, I think it it becomes easier (laughs) to be able to kind of wrap your head around all the numbers. And there's so much data now. that it, it can be a little daunting to kind of look at this huge set of numbers and understand what does that mean and what am I doing right, what am I doing wrong, what's working, what's not. Um, so I would say, you know, if it feels overwhelming to think about the analytics and metrics side of things, just dive dive in and, and, and know how important that is to really to grasp that element of it. I love that. So even if you are a more of a traditional creative, which it sounds like you, you really were growing up, always wanting to write and and being a writer at heart, don't be afraid to grasp the other side, which is the more analytical and data-driven concepts. Exactly. Love it. Love it. Well, Allison, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where should people follow Shake Shack and where should they follow you if they want to connect with you? Yeah. Follow me on Twitter, Allison Stad, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-S-T-A-D-D. And follow us everywhere at Shake Shack. It's uh, on, handle Shake Shack on all channels except for Snapchat, which is Shack Snap. Shack Snap. I'm going to follow that right now. I need to get on awesome. there. Awesome. I need to snap you. I love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Thank Bye. you, the fabulous social lady. Yes. Thank you so much, Carrie. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kirpin. 
To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.